0: welcome everyone to dolls of our lives this is the show where we're reliving the american girl series book by book i'm mary i'm still allison i'm just so taken by your beach scene allison on your zoom like i don't know why that has mesmerized me right now but that's where i'm at
1: So I'm actually doing like a two-part one-woman show, one part of which is my MacBook has decided that it wants to actually be a fan. And the other part is I'm using a Dell laptop, like not a (laughs) Dell, but like a D-E-L-L. So I have a beach background and I have my MacBook, which sounds like it's ready to like operate as a full-time fan. Yes. So it's kind of like, it's a passion piece for me. So modern computer. I love,
0: this is like performance art. I'm really into it. And speaking of fans, we have someone of whom we're, Both a fan. We have Lauren Kennedy with us today. We'll introduce her more in a moment, but we're so excited to be talking about Kit and newspapers and just all of it. Like, thank God we're not done with Kit yet. I was going to
1: say we have a Kennedy and then, like, let people, you know, decide which Kennedy we were able to not. But I think we have the best Kennedy, which is Lauren. Oh, my. Yes. Who wrote to us from the Ohio History Connection. So, Lauren, if you'd like to say hello to the people from the state that begins and ends with an O. Oh.
2: Hi, I'm Lauren. Um, Like Allison said, I'm from the Ohio History Connection and I also grew up in the time of Kit and American Girl Dolls. And so I was interested in having a conversation with you guys today about Ohio newspapers and Kit and just chatting about it. (laughs) I'm very excited. Well,
0: I mean, first of all, I can't go a minute further without knowing, like, are you of the Kennedys? Like, where are you at?
2: I genuinely have no idea, to be honest with you. I know there's Irish Kennedys wow. and there's Scottish Kennedys, and I'm an Irish Kennedy, so maybe somewhere way back down the line.
0: Wow. But I have so, no yes, idea. I mean, <laughs> I know someone else who is also last name is Kennedy, and she went to Brown, as did JFK Jr., and I was like, why you didn't tell everyone at Brown that you were a Kennedy? Like, <laughs> wasted opportunity. I don't know. But yeah, we're so excited to get into this. Let's just like dive right in. So I was telling Lauren off air that I'm really lucky that I've been exposed a little bit to the digital newspaper project work because my wife is the co-director of Connecticut's digital newspaper product project. Shout out to her. She, I'm, this is not a paid spawn. But so I'm, I know the value of your work and what you do. But maybe can you tell us a little bit about your position and your project and, and what you get to do at Ohio History?
2: Yeah. So my position title is digital projects coordinator, and I specifically work with the newspapers at um, Ohio History Connection. There are other digital projects coordinators who deal with Ohio Memory, but they deal more with um, like photographs and correspondence and other things that are happening on Ohio Memory. And I deal primarily with newspapers. So th- some of the work that I do um is initially, usually I'll get a response from um, someone who is at a historical society somewhere else in Ohio in one of the many, many places, the 88 counties here, And they reach out to me that they have found some kind of historic newspaper or potentially even just like they've been receiving their local newspaper from just the past few years and they would like to make sure that it is available digitally. And so we work with them to ensure that there can be a digital process for them to be not only preserved, but also accessible for other people in Ohio or outside of Ohio who would like to view either historic newspapers or even modern ones that we have access to. So we help with that process of making sure that people can do that, um, that these uh, historic societies and libraries and other places doing this work have access to someone who kind of knows the steps that go into making sure that these things are preserved and digitized. And so that's kind of like A very brief lay of the land of what I do there. Um, And then even larger, there is the federal newspaper program that Mary mentioned um, her wife is a part of. And so that is a little bit larger. Um, I work with Ohio Memory, but um, sometimes we also work within Chronicling America, which is like the federally funded one from the Library of Congress, where you can also find historic and modern newspapers and kind of just get the lay of the land with their history, um, their Important like identification numbers for them, if they're accessible, where they're accessible from. It could be multiple different states and things like that. So that is just kind of a very
0: brief overview of everything. Brief but comprehensive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we have to ask you, first of all, how many copies you have of hard times, which is Kit's newspaper. Wow.
2: (laughs) I wish that we had many, many copies of it. However, unfortunately, we have zero. I was looking on eBay, though,
0: (laughs) to see if anyone's selling
2: some. (laughs) For my own personal use, not for the Ohio History Connection.
0: (laughs) Honestly, if I was running for a governor of Ohio, my platform would be one plank and it would be like, I will preserve hard times. (laughs) I think
2: that the newspaper that they published with her was actually the Cincinnati reporter instead of her, the one that she made, which I thought was Mm. kind of interesting that they chose not to do the one that she
0: types out herself. Kind of dark that they did that. But I'm wondering if we can kind of like, you know, go back in time before we get into the newspapers of it all and Kit. I'd love to hear more about like how you came to American Girl, like what really lit you up about it and sort of like how you interacted with it.
2: Yeah. So growing up, I was a Samantha. <laughs> um, like I think my parents. You. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think my parents just did. Um, like they picked the one that looked the most like me, and I have brown hair, brown eyes. So they were like, "Yeah, she'll be a Samantha." And then my sister, who has blonde hair, blue eyes, got Kirsten. Um, wow. And I was kind of telling. <laughs> I know, <laughs> not fair, but it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was telling Mary Allison kind of off air, that. Um, like material wise, I was all about Samantha. I really loved like the doll itself with her and everything. But as far as the books and my experience with reading the books as a child, I very like specifically remember reading the Kirsten books or actually having the Kirsten books read to me. Cause it was like the first time that I ever kind of experienced death and having to learn about it. Um, and so I can, I think wow. it like really stuck with me cause it was my father reading us those books. And I, it was funny. I mentioned it to him like a while ago that like, I, I have this very vivid memory of, of that happening. And he was like, I don't remember reading you those books. (laughs) But to me, it was like really important because it's the first time that we discussed something like that. And so those two were kind of like the formation of my love for American Girl Doll. And as far as like Kit goes, she was released... Um, When I was pretty young, but she would have been probably more like my younger sister's speed. But I do remember the movie and being young enough to like enjoy the movie when it had come out and everything. I think I was probably right about the same age Kit would would have been (laughs) in the movies and everything. So I do remember seeing it, really enjoying it. It went on with uh, every vacation trip with us. I think that was one of the movies in the car that we brought. So (laughs) a lot of memories with
1: American Girl doll. (laughs) I feel like saying that you grew up with Kit is the politest way possible to say that you're younger than us. And that's been a subject (laughs) of discussion on our Discord community where people have talked about whether they remembered the subprime mortgage crisis and it was formative for them (laughs) or whether it's something that they heard about afterward. And that's become a kind of dividing line. It's like the Kit movie is released. The subprime mortgage crisis occurs whether you were a child or an adult or we were like somewhere. We were in adulthood, but like right about to graduate college. Um, I think that's like a new polite form of generational marker. Like I grew up with Kit. Like it's it's a polite way to say that you don't need as much skin cream as us yet. Wow. That's fair. Someone told
2: me the other day that they had Julie and I didn't even know who Julie was. So oh, she's, so coming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she's coming. She's <laughs> coming. Okay, that's fair. I didn't know who she was either until I went to I'd never been to an American Girl doll store before. And we were sent there to do like a photo shoot and they had Julie like a big Julie display. And it was mind blowing to me. I was like, disco, basketball. She lives in San Fran. Like, what's up, Julie? But I mean, in the 70s, I'm like, is her historical crisis Watergate? No. Okay. well, so I don't know. It is democratic, though. She has a democratic crisis of her own. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll have to wait till I get there, I guess. I purposefully try not to learn because I'd rather be surprised. But I love the story about your dad reading to you Kirsten's books and like having that be the first occasion for a conversation about grief because... It just seems like that's such a special memory for you, you know, even as you've like grown up and moved on to other things, like to remember that first conversation with a parent about something that, you know, ends up being, you know, sadly an important, you know, commonplace for everybody.
2: It was very interesting because like I hadn't thought about it in such a long time. And then like when the pandemic hit, um, I was in grad school and I was doing some work with American Girl dolls um, and material culture and stuff. And I had thought about using one of the dolls in my material culture class. And I was starting to think a little bit about grief and, um, everything that had accompanied it. And I was like, well, it's very interesting. Cause I think the first time I did like have a conversation with an adult about this that I truly remember was because right. of Kirsten.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. What kinds of stuff did you do in grad school on American girl?
2: Uh, so I had one project, um, that was with the, within the material culture, um, class that I did. I didn't end up using them very much in um, my thesis or anything, unfortunately. But within the one course, I did attempt to create and um, I was doing like layers with it, kind of like I was mentioning off air where um, I was trying to talk about the dolls and the materiality of like the doll itself, as well as them being characters within a book and then the book also being a material. And one thing that I thought was super interesting was obviously the books trying to talk about the historic dolls that the dolls would have had as characters. Um, mm. So I, cr- I did create a website at one point that tried to discuss the history of the dolls that the dolls characters would have had. Um, so like layers oh, upon cool. layers. <laughs> and Yeah. Trying to do like show pictures. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was very interesting to look through too. And some of the historic dolls that um, have like survived for so long that people like Kaya may have had. And, um, are like kind of behind paywalls. Like you can't really see pictures of them the way that you would think you could. Um, so it's very interesting hmm. to try to like delve into those things and find those, <laughs> but that was like my main focus with them. And then I did focus a little bit um, on Addie cause I went to grad school in Philadelphia. So kind of having a discussion about the placement of Addie and the importance of her story within being in Philadelphia um, as like a free city and things of that nature, and I used her story as a stop in a walking tour that I did of Philadelphia for my final thesis.
0: <laughs> this is all extremely impressive. I have one Thank question you. for you. Now that yes. I know that you were in Philadelphia, did you ever find the doll museum, Allison? Feel free to chime in. <laughs> we attempted to go to the doll museum. Do you do you even know what I'm talking about? And it was like. Yes for us to get there by the end of it, I think I was hangry. I don't really remember what was going on, but it was, it was closed when we got there and that was a huge tragedy.
2: It is permanently closed now, unfortunately. However, I did, and I did not do this on purpose at any point. I lived right above it. Um, what? when I first moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. Are um, you serious? Yeah. So it's like right between like Dauphin street and, um, I can't even think of broad street as like the main thoroughway in Philadelphia. And so it was like, near Dauphin Street, and, like, the stop that you get off right there, and I lived, like, right above it. Yeah, it was, like, in the same block that I was on, and I was probably, I was, like, catty-corner to it. (laughs) And so I accidentally did that. I had no idea it was there, and then... So did um, you
0: get in there? Like, what happened?
2: Unfortunately, it was closed. I think it shut down in... 2016 maybe 2017 um it still has like the sign outside and everything but it hasn't been open for a while unfortunately um wow. I I think the whole collection is still in there at least the last that I had looked like two years ago when I was doing this project in grad school and I'm everything. in shock <laughs> yeah it was funny because I didn't even realize because I never really went that way it was like a little bit further down the block but very close by I always went like the opposite direction and so when I saw that there was a doll museum in Philadelphia I was like oh and then I saw that it was like 500 feet for me. And I was like,
0: oh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that it was right there.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Iconic. I It's so bleak that the collection is still in the closed museum. It's like it's turning from like a child's dream scenario to like a horror movie set. Like, yeah. can somebody please, if you're listening to this, report back to us? Like, if you've been inside, <laughs> if you know information about this, like, I just can't believe I randomly was like going to ask you about this and you used to live, like right there. Wow. cool I think there's some
2: I think there's some temple students that have written like blog posts and things if you search it you can find some people who've definitely been there that could be cool to talk to (laughs) It was funny, actually, when I was like looking it up and I mentioned to my now fiance that like it was really close by. He was like, oh, I know that's there. And I was like, how did you know that's there? And he's like, well, in Pokemon Go, it's one of the stops. (laughs) I was like, like, oh, okay. (laughs) I have no idea.
0: It continues to be a part of history. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Wonderful. And I love that you made your own like virtual doll museum and that meta topic. Allison, you were like vigorously shaking your head when Lauren was talking about how you can't even see images of dolls of the dolls. Is that something that you've been tracking too?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because some of these kind of random accessories, they're worth almost as much as an American Girl doll now. So you Mm. can... I acquired my kit doll just last year or earlier this year for a pretty good price. But, you know, like we've really tampered with the Sombrita market and the Josefina world. It's the strangest things I wasn't that even have. Say that. I know we have to go there, but it's the strangest things that have kind of a huge price tag at this point. But part of what's been you know striking is people have shared with us, for example, the hobo kit that is associated with the kit doll is hundreds of dollars in some cases that there are these different accessories. I'm so curious, you know, you have this great Philadelphia connection that you explored while you were there doing graduate work. And we've had the pleasure before of talking to someone at Historic Stagville, which is where there's documents for the creation of Addie. We've talked to people at the Tenement Museum, like all these different institutions. Is there like an Ohio base that's still animated about Kit Kittredge? Or is that something I've completely fabricated?
2: So it's interesting because I tried to do some work on that, like, see if there was, like, a place that is kind of really tied to Kit. And as as far as it goes, as I understand it, no, but I'm also located in Columbus and not Cincinnati. So oh, there okay. could possibly be, like, a place in Cincinnati that is, like, really tied to her story that I just am not aware of, to be completely honest with you. If I had to guess, I think it would be, like, really cool um, – if, if one of the newspapers had like some kind of interest in her and everything. Um, but unfortunately I think most of the ones that would have been around while Kit was being created are no longer even open. (laughs) Um, Hmm. so there may have been some kind of a tie and people involved from the newspapers in Cincinnati that are no longer open. Um, it's interesting to, I think I think it's very interesting in general that like Cincinnati was chosen over like a Cleveland um, because a lot of the points that you guys talked about in one of the podcasts about why Cincinnati was like the the spot that they picked also would have hit for like a place like Cleveland. And I think um, it's very interesting Mm. that I would love to pick someone's brain about like what the choice was there and stuff. Um, But as far as I know, no. (laughs) Um, But I think it'd be really cool to talk more about the people who are involved in the creation of her and figure out if there was, like, a place that was really, like, tied to her creation besides just the city Mm. of Cincinnati.
1: (laughs) We know that Valerie Tripp, she she did a lot of interviews, and I think she was, like, such a known quantity by the time Kit came out that she – did a fair amount of press where she talked about her process and it's different from other characters where we've had to like talk around people or kind of like figure things out other ways. But a few uh, Ohio newspapers like ran a bunch of articles when Kit came out. But I think maybe there wasn't that same kind of direct energy because there isn't like one obvious cultural institution. Like I don't think the Cincinnati Inquirer is trying to like champion a 10-year-old journalist from fiction like that that maybe isn't like what they're doing while they're trying to like struggle to keep subscribers but you know different opportunities could have happened
2: another thing that's interesting too is like some of the older characters that would be farther back on like the timeline um have the opportunity to be in cities where there might be more history in the sense of like buildings still existing that were preserved and things of that nature Mm -hmm. but with kit in cincinnati there's I think probably the most popular building would be the train station that's there. The Union Terminal, I think, is what it's called. And that wouldn't even open until like 1934 or 35, I believe. So like any kind of like lands or like important landmark that could be tied to her wouldn't have even been open in Cincinnati until later. So I just don't know if like that was even something that they
0: (laughs) could do. Like, is this the legacy of Pete Rose? Like, What if Valerie Tripp was a huge Pete Rose Cincinnati Reds fan? And was like, it's Cincinnati. And they're like, Val, but there's no architecture and, like, gentrification and urban development. And she's like, I don't care. It's interesting with the Reds because, like, uh, obviously, Kit is a huge fan of the Reds and everything. But during
2: the Depression, they would have been awful. They would have been, like, one of the worst teams. I think they finished finished last for, like, eight years in a row, (laughs) um, like, during that era. And so that's another thing where, like, Kit has a tie to it. But, like, actually historically... It, it wouldn't have been like super, super crazy for many people in the area.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is really interesting the more that you kind of draw this out, like why Cincinnati? And I would love to know more information about that. But um, I'd love to kind of get in with get into kind of the kid of it all in newspapers with you. Like I mm-hmm. think in reading these books for me, and I don't know how you feel as more of an expert, like the culture of newspapers now is so... Um, Really sad. Like so many newspapers keep closing, or they're bought by venture capital groups and totally just robbed of resources, and then they close. Um, I live in Connecticut. We have Hartford, the Hartford Current, which is, I guess, like the oldest continuously printed newspaper, allegedly, according to its masthead. <laughs> and I mean, it almost has like virtually no staff at this point. It was built, bought by venture capital a couple of years ago, and it's really sad. There's like almost no local news. Like it's it's slowly sort of like dissipating. And the kid books are really wonderful and that it kind of reminds us of this like really rich newspaper culture. And I'm wondering kind of how you enter that as someone who you know helps preserve that history. So I did like a lot of kind of prep work
2: before talking with you guys interested in specifically the Cincinnati newspapers. And so it was interesting to kind of learn about, especially during like the depression, like the newspapers that would have been very popular in Cincinnati at the time. And there prob- there would have been about three that were circulating like pretty widely. Um, and it would have been the Cincinnati Post, the Cincinnati Inquirer, Inquirer, and the Cincinnati Times Star, I believe was the name of it. Um, and those three were pretty popular. And it's also interesting because of Cincinnati's like geographical position. They're also very close to Kentucky, like very close mm. um, border, very, very like you could probably you can walk across. Um, and so a lot of other newspapers that were popular in Cincinnati would have been Kentucky newspapers. So that's kind of a very unique position mm. for someone for a place like Cincinnati, Um and a lot of Cincinnati newspapers, like vice versa, were also very popular in Kentucky and had their own run. Like they were printed in Cincinnati and then just like shipped over the river to go um, into Kentucky, even though they were owned by the same people in Cincinnati. And so like that kind of informs an interesting way to like think about what we would consider like local news. But in a place like Cincinnati, it goes from one state to another state, and yet it's the same printer and publisher. And so, like, thinking about that is really interesting. Um, and then, like, as far as Kit goes, I, I was kind of mentioning off air. I, I think that she would have been most interested in um, one like the Cincinnati Post because that would have been the more, like, progressive newspaper of the time. Um And so kind of looking at their stuff (laughs) from the time is very interesting and what she would have potentially been interested in and what they were publishing. Um, And like local news, I think my favorite part when I was looking at it are all of the like yo-yo and bowling tournaments they talk about that are happening (laughs) in Cincinnati during 1932. Yeah. And like I could just see like Kit being like super into like yo-yoing and like becoming like super into it because it's probably not a very expensive toy. It's something that like many people could participate in. And so stuff like that is just like super interesting in the paper. And then you obviously have the national crisis and everything happening. That's also a huge discussion, but seeing like the very small tidbits in it where you could see like a child with like something like a yo-yo is super cool to look at too.
1: I'm curious what you make of what I think is actually like a pretty important difference between the Kit books and sort of like the Kit canon and the way that she's portrayed in the film. Because I think one of the ways that Kit kind of is presented as an even more vibrant and interesting character, is through the film, they make her part of a newsroom. Like, they have her storm into a newsroom. She's known by reporters. And there's really not that much of an emphasis on her making a homemade newspaper, right? Like, maybe with the thought that that would seem sort of juvenile or, like, less than, which I don't think it is. But throughout the books, there's such an emphasis on her having a home production with her friend Sterling and her friend Ruthie, and finally kind of culminating in this letter to the editor. And in the film, she's part of a journalist culture in Cincinnati. She knows the person who leads the paper. What do you make of kind of that difference? And maybe not the choice to do that, but like why I think such an even further departure from reality, right? It's extraordinary enough to make your own newspaper as a kid. It's really a big leap to think of a kid in a newsroom as almost a colleague in 1934.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. It's a very interesting change. I have to assume that part of it was like theatrically, how do you just like record a child like typing? Like, is there (laughs) how much how much entertainment could there be in something like that? So I wonder what like the shift in the thought process there was like, how close could we get to something like this, um, but still make it about like Cincinnati News and Kit being a part of this process. Um, And another thing, it's so while there there is that side to it, it is also interesting because i'm sure while they probably like collaborated with american girl doll in like creation of this movie and stuff um in terms of like them selling like accessories for a kid or something like that you would think that the writing portion and her creating her own newspaper would almost be a better selling point because she could like type on her typewriter and that might intrigue kids to get involved in wanting to like write their own story and buy a typewriter or like things of that nature so it is a very odd switch but I don't know like how much it has to do with like Kit as a character versus like what they thought they could do like theatrically I guess with it but I guess like historically yes it does not (laughs) make tons and tons of sense for her to be like storming into the newsroom and doesn't I think there's like a quote at one point too in the movie where they're like oh like a penny per word or something something very odd oh, like that yeah. or like that that was definitely very off as well um but yeah I'm not sure like what the thought process was behind the change I have to assume it's probably something like that and probably just to give Kit a bit of a boost with because she's like a detective in the movie you know so it kind of like adds right this like intrigue that she is a very um, like confident person. Like she can burst into a room where she's never met someone and like ask questions and, you know, solve these problems and stuff. And so I think that's probably where that comes from. But I, I really like the books and the fact that like, she is very, it's almost like you said, like juvenile, but it's a very, I don't see like lots of kids possibly doing something like that. It's still a very like adult thing to be doing
0: in a childlike manner. And so I think it's like a really cool portion of her books, I wish it would have been included. (laughs) I think it's an interesting archival question, actually, because I think it would be hard to recover how many kids were doing this kind of stuff at home unless it's saved somewhere. So I think like I know that there is one collection that's famous in um, New Hampshire of kids who made their own magazine called Chit Chat in um, like the turn of the 20th century. And it's really fascinating. If you want to look it up, they made their own illustrations. It's beautiful. And it's also loaded, but, um, you know, but we have that because the parents saved it. And then they, as adults, saved it and donated it to, I think, Dartmouth. Um, But it'd be interesting to know, like, and it was interesting when you said that it wouldn't work that way about, like, a penny per word or whatever. Like, what kind of background can you offer us about, like, what newspapers were like in this time that might be different from now?
2: So I, I don't have like tons to offer on what like the pricing of like a reporter might be paid for writing or things of that nature. But I do think that there is, and kind of going back to like that idea of like local news, there's a little bit more of an emphasis on like the here and now, like especially with the idea that like most of these papers are publishing every single day um, while newspapers still do that today. There is, I think, less of an emphasis on like what is happening in like this borough of Cincinnati on like tomorrow so that you can go do.
0: Um, mm.
2: I, th- I think like there's a very different focus. Um, and so while there might be like that local happening in newspapers today, it's not necessarily as like drawn out because you could just like Google it, you know, if you wanted to find right. something to do next week, you could look on like an event, Or something like that. And so I think there is almost this sense of, um, like community building that's happening in newspapers a lot more. in um, like the time that Kit would have been reading them, um, and, like, kind of going back to, like, the yo-yo competition, you know, like, that—that that is something that, like, if Kit would have read that and been interested in attending um, or if she wanted to compete or whatever it may be, that's something that, like, she could have taken a look at, seen, like, four days prior because it's mentioned probably, like, the whole week leading up to the event. And then once she goes, she gets to see it and she gets to be a part of it and, like, witness it in person. And then, like, two days later in the newspaper, they're talking about, like, what she actually got to see and she gets to kind of relive it in a way. Mm. And I don't know if we do that as much anymore either with this kind of um, like reliving within newspapers, because I think kind of like the recounting of stories has kind of fallen to places like YouTube and things of that nature where we do a lot Mm of, I mean, we're doing a podcast right now, you know, like an audio version of recounting these stories and these events that are happening. Um, And so I think there's like a very different emphasis on what's happening. So the newspapers obviously talk about news, but they also go beyond that and do a lot of that community building. And recounting and storytelling that I don't know that we do as much anymore.
1: (laughs) I wonder if you could talk a little bit, because I think this will be interesting for people who maybe don't work in a historical background or maybe they're just getting started and they're kind of interested in doing some research. There's this kind of like popular visual of the person like rushing into a hometown library, like sitting at a microfilm machine and like solving (laughs) a crime, right? Like pouring over the microfilm and like, but they like immediately find the exact thing that they're looking for. And when you said that you looked at some microfilm and you looked at some different kinds of digital documents to prepare to talk to us today, I kind of have a pretty good idea in my mind of of what I think you mean. But I wonder if you could talk about that as kind of a way of like opening the door to your profession, especially for people who are thinking about a journey into history like it isn't the way it is on HBO where someone has five minutes at a machine. They find the exact yeah. article they're looking for and the case is solved. So so what is it like to actually do that type of work?
2: Yeah. See, it's funny you mentioned that because my mind immediately jumps to like Stranger Things this last yes. season. They're on like a <laughs> yes. microfilm and they find the exact, yeah.
1: I was um, doing a rewatch and they literally like talked to a librarian who is cranky because she had hooked up with one of the detectives, but she like wow. begrudgingly shows them the card catalog Love that. And I think there's two things happening in that scene, one of which is, like, it does remind you, and I think in an important way, show, like, this person has real expertise that is needed. Like, this person needs to guide you on how to use this thing, and yet mm-hmm. the process takes seconds, and they immediately find the exact thing they're looking for, which isn't really where the joy of researching these papers comes from and is not realistic about the process either.
2: Yeah. So when it comes to, like, microfilm specifically, I think that... It's a whole different beast than like digitized newspapers, because I think fortunately with and and unfortunately in some ways, but with like digitized newspapers, we have OCR, which creates like that transcript and makes it searchable. And while that can be very helpful, it could also mean you're possibly missing something because it didn't happen to be searched um, effectively the way that we would assume it should be because of technology and things like that so with microfilm you kind of have to dig in like a little bit deeper you have to read word for word it's not searchable in that way um and like for anyone who's never really experienced having to use a microfilm machine you know thinking about so like like i mentioned i went through um the cincinnati post from 1932 and thinking about that right now that meant having to go through about nine reels um for just one year Um, And so, like I mentioned, like the Cincinnati Post would have been published every single day. So there could be a very different experience if you're looking at a newspaper that's published like weekly or biweekly. That might be a very different research experience than something that's happening every day. Um, Something that's really interesting with one that would be like a daily is you're going to see repeated stories like pretty frequently, Um, Hmm. especially like in 1932. If you're. (laughs) if you're looking in 1932, like every day from March forward, there's going to be some kind of article about like the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, stuff like that. Um, so like understanding that like there's almost a repetitiveness to things um, and they might say like similar things. Um, and then sometimes like you could get caught up in like the repetitiveness and like miss something that you are looking for because um, the Lindbergh baby takes like eight, headlines for eight days in a row and you miss like the small one down in the right hand corner that talks about like prohibition or something which might be what you're trying to focus on but it doesn't get as much attention in like that whole month and so it's a very interesting like research process to have to use microfilm especially when um you can't like zoom out or zoom in the way that you like could on a computer and things of that nature and so I think it's like very different especially for someone entering um like this field and doing newspapers the way we still preserve them to digitize them, especially within like the chronicling America standards and things like that. And the NDNP standards would be to um, take the physical newspapers and microfilm them. And that's the preservation copy. And then you digitize from the microfilm. And I think a lot of people um, may not realize that. Cause I think a lot of times when we think about like preservation, when it comes to like digital things and people involved in like the history field or archives. It's just like a scanner and all you have to do is just scan like the photograph and you're ready to go. But with newspapers, it's a whole different beast (laughs) and doing research with them is a whole different beast because to try to digitize just one issue is a lot more work than like four photographs from one collection. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think about like the difference between like microfilm and then digital newspapers and then also digital newspapers versus any other kind of like digital archival content.
1: I just think one of the values of microfilm too, or being able to look at like actual physical copies of newspapers. I remember someone in graduate school had mentioned this and I like found it to be very true, actually having to look across a paper as opposed to being able to do a keyword search. There's a lot that's lost about context. And I think one of the exciting things about pouring over microfilm or working with real newspapers or in some scenarios where you're just like given full access to a bunch of records I was doing research about a particular event that occurred in the 1970s and I couldn't find coverage. And I kind of quickly realized that part of why I wasn't finding what I was looking for was everyone was concerned about what had happened at Chappaquiddick with the other Kennedys. No relation to you for the sake of this conversation. And so this event that felt really important to me that I was looking for wasn't getting the coverage that I was expecting in local and regional newspapers because all eyes were on the trial that was about to happen around chappaquiddick and so that was kind of a moment for me of realizing like we are asking certain questions about the past and the papers are telling us the story of what people think is important in the moment and that kind of stuck with me of you know we have made this moment that i was researching out to be extremely important when it was actually happening people didn't have that awareness They were very much focused on other things. You see this with stuff like the Lizzie Borden trial. You don't understand how pervasive the Lizzie Borden trial is until you're researching something else in that same time frame of the murder or the incident, and it's everywhere. And like you're saying, it's the same stories repeated over and over, just slightly different changes. And- You know, something that like we kind of know of because we know about the Associated Press, the way that people are inserting stories from other papers just over and over on repeat. Mm -hmm. Um, The Lindbergh baby is a great example, but happened all the time.
2: It's funny that you mentioned like us not realizing the importance of, like, an event until, like, we're looking back on it because one of the things that I tried to go look up um, so that we could have, like, a discussion on it was um, the announcement of, like, Roosevelt winning, <laughs> and it was such mm. a boring article that I was like, this isn't <laughs> even worth talking about, <laughs> Um And I I remember I took a picture of it and I sent it to my fiance and I was like, I thought this was going to be much more interesting, (laughs) but it's just, you know, it's the exact same kind of like announcement that we would receive today, just on the front page instead. But it's not like they don't really go into depth on anything. They're just like "Um, this person likely to win, you know, and so thinking about that was very interesting because I thought that that would be much more of a discussion in the papers. And I mean, leading up to the election and the actual election day was much more interesting than the actual like announcement that he had won um oh. and so I thought that was
0: really interesting <laughs> what did you think was interesting about the lead-up
2: there's there's so much discussion about Hoover um and to Uh-oh. my surprise le- is it less positive about Ho- <laughs> no no <laughs> Less about Hoover and people's like economic situations, which is what I had kind of expected and more about people's displeasure with Hoover and the fact that he was into like a dry agenda and was for prohibition and was not changing his stance when so many people were really pushing for prohibition to end. And I mean, that Mm -hmm. was like one of Roosevelt's, you know, like running points and things. And so there was, I mean, there was, it was very prevalent in the Cincinnati Post, just like this discussion. Um, Almost like every cartoon was about um, tax but specifically about beer taxes and how like bootleggers were just making free money because we weren't charging sales tax on beer or anything because it was illegal. And so it was very interesting to see um, tons of articles from doctors. I don't know if they actually were <laughs> saying like beer is healthy. We should be it should be legal. Wow. We should be allowed to do all these things. And so that was very interesting. And the fact that like most of the discussion about Hoover was tied to prohibition kind of shocked me Um I hadn't mm-hmm. expected that. <laughs> and so and then a lot of discussion about like where he was, um, like if he was traveling and in a different state, like what he was doing that week. And those were pretty much the discussions with him. And then everything that had to do with Roosevelt leading up to the election was kind of just like, um, oh, he's winning in the, all these primaries. He's really kicking butt, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I think he's definitely going to win. Here's the margin we think it's going to happen in. um Hmm. But yeah, it was very interesting to see. But the actual announcement was just kind of dry. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah, here's how much he's expected to win by. And that was it. And I was like, oh,
0: interesting. nothing fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just want to pick up on what Allison said, too, that I think a lot of if you're new to history, you might want to dip your toe in like newspapers are such a great place to start because of that context that it offers you. That's so different from so many other sources, right? Like you could if you want to go on Chronicling America, I I was talking with you before and saying I love Chronicling America and I mentioned on the show a lot, but it lets you go in and pick a state and pick any date or a window of dates. And you can see like what you know, people are talking about newspapers and seeing like what are in side by side columns together is often really surprising. Like there's a huge national story. And then something that's like hyper local, like the reports of like what kids had birthday parties or whatever, which I love. Like I love the local news and frankly gossip. Like I love recovering (laughs) historical gossip in newspapers. And I think the context of those, is really, it's hard to compare it to other sources. And for me, it reminds me of that moment And I haven't seen Stranger Things, don't judge, but (laughs) you know that iconic scene in Now and Then when Christina Ricci and the gang are looking for a newspaper article about her mom's death? Are you too young for this, Lauren? I haven't seen it, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) I'm putting the show on pause. We all have to watch Now and Then right now, but... Just know that that movie and Christina Ricci made me feel things, and particularly that scene because it's so dramatic, but she's in like a basement. This is It's like a realistic depiction of what research is really like, where it's like you're in a basement, you're looking at, in this case, like bound newspapers, and you're literally like no index, just rifling through, hoping to find, in her case, right. a report of the car accident that took her mom's life. And she finds it and it ends up being like super dramatic, but... That always reached me because it's like, oh, wow, historical sources can have personal history or, you know, family history and like these national stories as well.
2: Yeah, I think people are often shocked that when like genealogists go back to find information that a lot of times that information is like found in the newspaper, Um, like it goes Mm -hmm. beyond like birth and marriage certificates and things like that. It's like, oh, was this person mentioned in the Cincinnati Post in 1930? Okay, well, they probably live here like. I think it's very interesting that, like, outside of outside of like a historian or genealogist, a lot of people wouldn't consider that like a place to look. Um, but I love doing it. I think it's so fun to like see stuff. And when I'm digitizing things and doing like quality review and stuff, I always find very very interesting things and love to take pictures and send them to people. <laughs> Lots of dogs too.
1: Dogs. <laughs> Sorry, in the paper. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Something I noticed when I did kind of like the browsing feature because I got interested in the Ohio memory pages and I was trying to figure out, okay what kind of objects can I look at and what kind of papers? And just because I don't know a lot about Ohio history, I was surprised by how many newspapers were in different languages. And I think that's also very much like something that has changed in our world today. Like the part of the country that Mary and I live in, there were a lot of communities where people self-published papers or had papers that had a certain circulation in like German or French, or I think the ones I was seeing were Polish. Can you talk a bit about like maybe some of the challenges or like the opportunities you have with that, with things that may or may not be in a language that you can speak?
2: Mm -hmm. So... I think in Ohio, probably the most prevalent would be German newspapers. Um, There would probably be a lot of Polish ones, like you mentioned as well. That would probably be more Columbus area. German would probably pervade like Cincinnati, Columbus, like pretty much the whole (laughs) state of Ohio. There's a lot of German ancestry in in Ohio. Um, So to look at those newspapers is very interesting because normally when it comes down to it, I don't have the expertise and usually people at like ohio history connection may not have the expertise to actually be like reading these line by line it usually comes down to can we identify what language it is can we identify like the history of the paper like if you're looking at chronicling america often they'll give you um kind of like the brief history of like the newspaper and stuff so can we identify like the the title what what language it's actually in. Um, And like beyond that, we're usually not able to do a ton. Sometimes we do try to like reach out to someone who might be able to speak German at say like Ohio State or another um, school or just generally someone who's an expert that could help us with something like that. Um, But occasionally and frequently, like we unfortunately don't have the resources and I would assume most other historic sites or libraries unfortunately wouldn't have the resources to be doing the work of, like, transcription or, like, OCR within another language, unfortunately. We do, however, try really hard to ensure that, like, the other language um, newspapers do end up published onto a site like Ohio Memory or Chronicling America within this past grant cycle for, um, like, a grant for Chronicling America and to ensure that we continue to to, uh, digitize newspapers. We make sure that we discuss um labor newspapers um other language newspapers and any anywhere that kind of has a gap so there's 88 counties in Ohio where haven't we published like a newspaper from online yet and things like that and oftentimes there could be like a German or Polish or um like Jewish newspaper that's published in like Yiddish or something else that we like may not have the access to know exactly what it's about um So we hopefully like we reach out for like funding to do things like that (laughs) and try to. But yeah, it's it's a it's a different process. And unfortunately, we can't do as much with it as we would like. But we do try to get them online. So people who can read German have access to it, at least, (laughs) you know, but that's kind of where it's at with that.
0: (laughs) I'm wondering as a person who's been in the archive, it sounds like you're doing the Lord's work, taking your own photos of dogs you find in the newspaper, like reading different stories. Like this is iconic. This is what I would be doing. Like I get really invested in the ads and the stuff that's like seemingly meaningless, but not to me. Like if you were Kit, kid, like if you can, if you are brave enough to imagine yourselves in the shoes of one kid, Kittredge, what stories, like what do you think national stories, local stories, whatever you choose what do you think would have captivated her when she was, you know, getting into newspapers and growing up and you know even into adulthood. Whatever time frame you want to talk about. So
2: with Kit, I think she would have been very interested in like the time frame that we're talking like her as in these books and in, in like 1932 through like 34, there was a lot of um, publications and like articles about teachers going hungry right now um, mm. during the depression, at least that I found. I, rem- I wrote down one of the titles because I thought that it was it was just like a shocking <laughs> one that would get someone's attention. Um, the article is called 7000 Teachers Famished. Um, and that was in the 1932 wow. Cincinnati Post. And I really think something like that would like really catch kids attention just with how empathetic she is. I know like the whole story was trying to help kids her age and stuff, but I think something like that would really catch her attention because she goes to school and she talks to her teacher and her teacher is constantly trying to get them to do the food drives and things like that as well. And I think if she saw something like that, she would be like, but who's helping him? Like, or her. Mm. Um, I think her her teacher is a man, I believe, in the books. But, um, like, who who is helping you? Are you struggling, like, and trying to have, like, a frank conversation? Because, you know, she feels that shame sometimes with, like, trying to make sure that her true nature and, like, the poverty that her family's experiencing is kind of hidden and stuff. And so I think that she might be able to have a frank conversation with, like, a teacher about that. And so I think that would be something that would really catch her attention in the newspapers and then potentially later on in her life, it would be nineteen forty, I believe, that the Reds win. I don't think it's called the World Series yet, but I could be totally wrong. They win the world title um for the first time since like the 1910s, I believe. Um, and I think that would really catch her attention. I like Big to news. think that she Yeah, like was very, very into it. I think she probably if if I had my dream world of what happens to Kit Kitridge, she goes on to work for the Cincinnati Post and she's like the sports correspondent, like she's going to Reds games and she's talking to the players and reporting. But I'm sure that's not realistic, but I would love that that was what happened to her if it could have (laughs) been. I think she'd love it,
1: getting to talk to all the players. (laughs) Because
2: I don't don't know if she could ever have played the way that she would have loved to, but at least she could be involved.
1: I think that's always an interesting tension in American Girl, and like part of why the movie really did throw me off, right? Because I think then or now, the idea of any kid kind of storming into a newsroom and like demanding bylines and like trying to get stories—like it's funny, right? It's a movie, like it's good, it works. As you're kind of pouring over these newspapers, are you noticing patterns about women just in general getting bylines or like who seems to be getting the most coverage? Are they having to pull from just like national outlets at times? Like, what kinds of things were coming up as you were looking at them? So within the Cincinnati Post, like
2: specifically, there's probably about five pages that are dedicated to like women specifically. Mm. And it seems kind of like a like a dear dotty kind of section on one page. Like, let me ask advice. Here's these questions. Please answer them. I don't think the reporter or like the person who's actually answering the questions is named, but I'm sure I, I would assume or hope that it's a woman if they're allegedly writing to a woman for advice. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, they have like further discussions. The Cincinnati Post was interesting because it talked specifically about like relationship advice um and then the second page would be like all motherhood advice like my child's doing this how do I react to this how do I maintain like a valuable relationship with my child while also being like the parent like how am I not a friend but also like still maintaining a good relationship with them and I thought that was kind of really heartening to see in like 1930s you know um yeah yeah It was very interesting, especially I think most of the questions were about like a mother and a daughter, less about like raising a son. Um, But there was like a lot of discussion about that. Um, And then there was also a major focus with the ads in the newspaper directed towards women. Um, It seems like most of the ads were actually directed towards women, which I thought was very interesting. Besides car ads, it seems like most of them were about like dresses and shoes for women's fashion and then coffee. Those were like the the big (laughs) ones. Um, But it's interesting to me, ads seem to continue running like no problem. Like people were still paying for them. And I mean things, I think if we didn't have the knowledge of like the great depression and only looked at ads, like I'd have no idea that anything was different during this time period, which is very interesting to think about and something that Mm. I kind of made note of, but it is interesting that all of them seem to be directed towards women.
1: (laughs) Hmm. We talked about that a lot too with Kit's mom really seeing seeming to be the head of the family's finances and like having the best grip on the family's finances and Probably the newspapers are reinforcing it, but they're basing their ad campaigns on a belief that women are making those choices. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting you talk about kind of like the dynamic between parents and kids changing. We see that in the kit books where like the way that they're close changes between book one and book six and what kit Mm -hmm. is led into. Thinking about how many kids were really vital wage earners in the 1930s, you know, part of the pushback against Roosevelt really comes from families saying, we won't survive if you don't allow children to be wage earners. And when you think of the families where kids are wage earners, it's usually multiple children, and they're usually bringing in more than half of the family income. And so that really changes the dynamic, especially if you're a teenager and you have any kind of awareness. People talk in mill towns and different industrial towns all the time. They never saw their pay. We're not talking like 1800. We're talking less than 100 years ago. It went directly to parents. That's going to change your relationship with uh, an authority figure, knowing that like you're paying the rent as much as they are.
2: And I think that's interesting to think about in like, the kit book specifically with the brother. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, yeah, and something that's really interesting with the kit books too with Charlie is the fact that um, he's in the CCC, correct? And they he goes to Montana. Um, there were those active programs also happening in Cincinnati, so it's very interesting to me that, like, as an author, she chose to send him all the way to like Montana and make him not a part of the story anymore, even though he's contributing to the family making sure that they don't lose their house and things like that um, with what he's getting paid. And so, like, the reality of the fact that he would have been involved in, like, the CCC but not in Cincinnati is interesting to me. Um, I don't know, like, tons about how many people would have gone out of state for being a part of um, the Civilian Conservation Corps, but I did think it was interesting that, like, he didn't Hmm. stay in Ohio as part of, like, the story. I'm not sure <laughs> if that was normal or not. Um, I know Ohio specifically had a they had a lot of work with parks and the highway was like a big deal in Ohio, um, especially Cincinnati. And he could have potentially been a part of that project.
1: But, That's not as cool. Yeah. I think there's like I think there is something about the fact that like they wanted Charlie because he had to skip college to get muscles and to be part of like a work gang <laughs> and do telephone poles or something out at Glacier. And I think that's always one of the strengths of American Girl as a brand, which is that you get these national polls, right? Like one of my favorite, favorite books that I hadn't read as a kid that we read as adults for this show was Molly's Route 66 Adventure because we got to go on like an early post war road trip with her. I think in some ways it's fascinating that we get to learn about another place in the same time. And I think the turn for like Valerie, Tripp and others to not make up a place like Molly is not from a real place. Kirsten is not from a <laughs> real place. But to yeah. say, no, like we're going to choose a real city and you're going to learn about Cincinnati and we're going to send Charlie somewhere else so we can expand your horizons even further. Like if Charlie was coming home every night, there's no room for him um,
0: <laughs> after <premium.
1: laughs> like, like digging a ditch for a highway. I think part of what it captures is like Charlie is desperate to get out and have some kind of adventure and the working glacier is probably way worse and horrible but he always gets to say he did that.
2: Yeah, and that's true to I didn't even think about like the fact that there probably wasn't even a space for him in the house and then on top on top of that I guess it's a driving force for Kit because she's she's almost jealous in some of the books that he's like getting to do these things when in reality he's doing like hard labor (laughs) and so like trying to come to terms with that um while also being like, well, he
1: gets to be in a different place and experience all these things and go on an adventure. You talking about the ads too. It's like such a great reminder that newspapers are not reality. And we know that, like we know that Facebook is not reality. We know that Instagram is not reality. There is like a, a bunch of Facebook groups that I'm in for like people who live in the various areas that I live now or have lived. It's like, I know that that's not reality. And yet I look back at a newspaper and I'm like, be a perfect snapshot of this time. Like, tell me exactly what I want to know and like be a perfect representation of that time. And you think about who can afford a newspaper, right? Or like who's actually looking at some of these newspapers, which could have been an expense some people just couldn't afford.
2: Yeah, it's definitely interesting because you can tell the target of the ads not only are women, but probably middle class women who Mm -hmm. are definitely impacted by the depression, but still have enough money to spend on potentially a new dress or a new coat because they might possibly Mm. need it and what they're thinking they're not doing the kit ideal of like doing hand-me-down clothes. They're not doing the, or at least like these ads are hoping they're not doing (laughs) this um, creation of like the chicken feed bag dress (laughs) and stuff like that. Um, They're really hoping that they can target these, these women specifically to purchase these new items, even though they may not need them. That was so, it was very interesting to see, I think, especially, yeah, like especially the shoes I was like, hmm, I don't know how many people were going out and doing that.
0: Like, <laughs> it's interesting to think about, like, what use Aunt Millie would have had for newspapers in this period. <laughs> Aunt
2: Millie would have put them in the chicken coop.
0: They were. Like, I was just gonna say they'd nuts. be like, a ma- <laughs> as a material object, they would be useful to her probably, but mm-hmm. maybe the contents would not.
2: Some kind of paper mache for kid's birthday party, something like that. <laughs> it's interesting that Aunt Millie like disappears from the last book in general too, because I think like that's the biggest emphasis on like newspapers and I think that she could have had like some really interesting like insight into like what could be said in a letter to the editor (laughs) like especially with what Kit was trying to do with it so
1: for sure I think part of what the books show really well is someone like Uncle Hendrick feels like he should be heard in the paper. Like he automatically feels like he is the exact kind of person whose voice should be heard in the paper. And I think Kit like does a really cool job of disrupting that, which is why like the sixth book kind of really packs such a great punch because – we're left in the previous book with this sense that like someone needs to do something and then Kit actually goes out and does that. I wonder if you mm-hmm. could talk kind of briefly about, you know, the tradition of muckraking and like deep investigations, anything that you saw while you were looking through that might be a particular interest because that's what Kit shows us is like the power of actually like capturing some images and like talking to people in real time and then exposing it in the paper.
2: So I was I was like kind of shocked to see that, at least with the Cincinnati Post, beyond kind of this discussion of sports and like the events that are happening with like the previously mentioned like yo-yo competition or like the local high school like bowling team. Um, there wasn't like tons of like journalism specific to like Cincinnati. There was a lot of discussion about, like I said, like the Lindbergh baby and things like that. And I think beyond the Lindbergh baby, there was this very interesting and like intriguing notion from people like reporters in Cincinnati about specifically kidnapping in general, like every, every issue of the Cincinnati post had some kind of kidnapping story that they were discussing whether it happened in Cincinnati or Ohio or elsewhere, this very, and they, they really wanted to make sure that people were aware that it was like a danger to you, your Mm. children, your potentially like elderly parents, that people were forming these kidnapping rings is what they called them to potentially get some kind of money (laughs) Um, uh, because of what I would assume because of the depression. I'm not sure. Um, That seems like the largest like hit from like reporters really wanting to talk about, (laughs) um, I like made note of it because I was like, there is there's something on the about this on every every single day of nineteen thirty-two. Um, but like beyond that, it seems it's interesting to me that there isn't like tons of like investigative journalism happening. But that that isn't to say it isn't happening. That was just the Cincinnati Post. Um, they do have a decent amount of discussion on, like, strikes and things of that nature also happening in Cincinnati. They do a decent job talking about Detroit, too, somewhat frequently. I mm. think Ohio and Detroit have, like, a pretty good relationship a lot of the time. Some of the parts would be, like, produced here, go up there, and then, like, the full car would be created. Um, So they do have a decent amount of discussion about things like that. Um, They do a pretty big discussion on, like, bossism is what they were calling it, which is interesting. Um, I think by... 1940 the post um had kind of picked who they they thought was best for um like political office within Cincinnati and Cincinnati is unique in the way that they chose to stop electing mayors at some point and had like a city manager I believe is what they called it and the post was like the first to endorse that um which with strong influence from um Teddy Roosevelt and from the Taft family in Ohio which is interesting Mm. um and so I'm not sure how much of their stuff is like super deep investigative (laughs) journalism the way that like we would view it with muckraking and like kit and everything but um those are kind of like the big things that they're focusing on in the next from like the 1910s through like 40s kind of era um their ties to Taft are pretty interesting. They, um, Hmm. I think the Taft family is like part owner of them at one point. The Post owns the Inquirer at one point and the the Time Star at another point. Um, They're broken down for (laughs) violating antitrust laws because they bought all of the the Cincinnati newspapers Um, at some point. I think it's probably, yeah, it's wild. I I hadn't even thought about um, newspapers breaking like antitrust laws. (laughs) Um, But seeing that was- very interesting. Um, At some point in like the 60s or 70s, after they're broken apart because they're told like this is in violation of the antitrust laws, um, they go on to say, okay, well, we're going to operate under a joint operation agreement. And so they basically say that they're going to support each other through the publication up until a certain year. And then after that year happens, the post goes under because they no longer have like the support from other Cincinnati newspapers. So it's a very interesting road (laughs) that they were led down. And I would hope that if if, uh, Kit was working for the Cincinnati Post, she would have retired before (laughs)
0: 2007 when when they no longer were in publication. Oh, my God. Wow, that's wild. I don't really think about the Taft family post 1912 or so. So it's like wild. Now I need to know like what else they were getting into. They were involved in like Cincinnati radio, like pretty strongly as well. At some wow. point, I think it's
2: the Cincinnati Inquirer, like buys a radio station to talk about news and, and the Taft family's involved in that. It's, it's very interesting.
0: Wow. Wow. That is. Yeah.
2: But, and they're wild. all about like the local, local politics in Cincinnati as well. I reported on in the Post and the Enquirer regarding the Taft family at large. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Um, I think, you know, like that's another cue, too, that newspapers can really help you recover like community and state history. And it seems like in a lot of graduate programs, the focus now is like on telling like national stories or like micro history or state history has has kind of diminished in terms of like fewer people are doing like a thesis on that but I would love for more people to get into it because like you're just described, that sounds like a whole soap opera that now I'm gonna have to go get into after this. But you know, it would be like, that's the key place to start is like reading these storylines in newspapers. So that's, that's really fascinating.
1: Lauren, are there specific things that you would love to direct people to that have to do with your work in terms of websites and like a good place to get started?
2: Yeah. So if anyone is interested in learning a little bit more about like historic newspapers or like modern newspapers in Ohio, you can always go, to Ohio Memory, um, which is a website that we've kind of discussed a little bit. Um, It has the historic newspapers that I work with. It also has um, all sorts of um, digital content um, from like photographs to letters to um, other objects that have been digitized just for you to view online. I think we have over a million um, digital archive material pieces on there for for people. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, and there is something from all 88 counties in Ohio. So if you're interested in specifically Ohio history, that's a really good resource. And, um, if you're interested in going a little bit beyond like Ohio and newspapers in general, you can always look at, um, chronicling America, which as Mary said is amazing (laughs) and has all sorts of information about all sorts of historic newspapers. It's kind of fun just to play around with it. Even if you're not looking for anything like specific, Um, uh, you can do like a keyword search for like random years and just kind of see like, oh, was this mentioned in Arkansas? Why? Like, I'm just very interested. Yes, you like know what's happening.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would recommend starting by like searching your birthday in different years in different states and just see what was going on. Just putting I it I was interested there.
2: in what happened on April 25th, which is my birthday in 1932. And unfortunately, when I went and looked, it was a kidnapping story. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like,
0: that's no, like that good. is rough karma. I'll put that yeah. out there. That is rough karma. But we want you know, we want better for you. Maybe if you keep looking, we'll find a better story for you or listeners can. So that's wonderful. And and just as a final like suggestion, you know, we care a lot about pop culture on this show. Like, do you have anything that you're currently super into that you want to recommend? Oh, So this is like it's like
2: a bad good tv show you know like one that you like you love to hate but you can't stop watching um of the course. national treasure tv
0: show <gasps> oh <laughs> i've seen i've seen the first three episodes in Catherine zeta jones's wig alone is worthy I love of her participation <laughs> it's yes, so good I love it. it's crazy yes
2: and she's like a perfect villain like i think she does such a good job um And so it's, it's fun to watch. It's not like if you're looking for something that's not serious, but still like holds your attention and you can laugh at it, like highly suggest that there's a new episode
0: uh, tonight, which I will probably be doing after this. (laughs) Okay, great. Wonderful. Amazing. Allison, anything that you're obsessed with these days? I was watching
1: Fleischman is in Trouble, which was wonderful. Highly recommend that. That's good. Really interesting acting by Claire Dane. So that's pretty high on my list. Um, Been reading a few different novels, but really looking forward to Spare. And also been enjoying The Princess Diaries, which is our Patreon read for this month. Being very grateful I'm not in high school.
0: Yeah, that's a perennial mood. I just got my copy of The Princess Diaries from the library, so I'll have to get into that, although I think I will have to finish Spare before that. So I'm, uh, again, recommending it. It's a lot. Even though they're, like, you would think There's so, we're so saturated with Harry and Meghan content, what more can we learn? It is actually worth, I think, I don't know, your time. I also, guys, don't judge me for this. I'm watching a show that's on a major network, which feels like weird to say in like 2023. <laughs> like, I just want to say this. My parents recommended me the show. This is so embarrassing, like a long time ago. And like most recommendations from my parents, which are like, Mimi, we think you love this show, NCIS. I'm like, I can't go there with you. Like, <laughs> I'm happy it exists for you. And I'll watch it when I'm at your house with with like joy. But I can't. That's not going to sustain me. They recommended a show called Ghosts on CBS a long time ago. And I was like, wow, thank you so much. And like basically did the equivalent of like putting it up on my fridge and was like, it's right here. And then like, I don't know why over the holiday we decided to watch it. It is so good. Actually, someone else recommended it to me who's like a youth. And I was like, OK, well, if this like <laughs> youth is telling me it's good. It is so good. Do you guys know what this show is? Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: I've seen I have it, heard of isn't it? it? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: OK, never mind. But it's like based on a British <laughs> show for those who don't know. But and it's like these two people inherit a house that they make a and b It's haunted. And all the ghosts have interesting historical stories. I find it genuinely funny and I'm like a dad joke person. So maybe that's me. But the fact that there's like a gay Revolutionary War officer who has like imagined beef with Hamilton and can't believe that Hamilton <laughs> has like had this glow up that he's had. I don't know. I find like historical pettiness funny. Like it's just light. It made me laugh. I don't know if that sounds good to you. I would recommend it. Spear won't make you laugh, or at least it hasn't yet. So, (laughs) but you know, these are all, these are all great wrecks and I will take all of yours under advisement. So Lauren, we just want to circle back and say, thank you for being here. This has been incredible. I feel like I've learned so much from you and we just so appreciate you taking the time to share everything with us.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate being able to be a part of it.
0: And you know maybe we can crowdfund like, buying the Kirsten books to send to Prince Harry, because I feel like maybe that would help him on his grief journey. If it was meaningful for you, like maybe it would help him. I don't know. Closing thought. I, I think so, yeah. Okay. For his daughter, Thank too, you. you know? For his daughter. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. yes. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that, Lauren. Um, so thanks everyone for listening. And Allison, do you want to say where people can find us? Yeah. So we're at Dolls Lives Pod on Twitter. You can also find us
1: on Instagram, Dolls of Our Lives Podcast. We are on Facebook, believe it or not. We have a website for Dolls of Our Lives Podcast where you find everything from our telephone number to our PO box. Lauren, if you'd like people to reach out to you in some kind of way, what would be the best way to do that?
2: Yeah, anyone who's interested in like Ohio history specifically can follow um, Ohio History Connection on Instagram at Ohio History. And if anyone is interested in um, like me specifically, hang on, let me look at my handle because I don't know it. (laughs) Uh, My Instagram is laverinalenity. It's a little goofy, I can spell it. It's (laughs) L-A-V-R-E-N-I-L-E-N-N-E-D-Y.
0: Awesome. And Allison, you can be found...
1: I'm at Allison Harris on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those other things. Um, No carrier pigeons to report just yet. Uh, Mary, where could people find you?
0: I would say at this this time, just try to find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. And we'll just like leave it there because I am on Twitter, but it's complicated. So I'm very happy to chat with you on Instagram. Um, this has all been amazing. My head is spinning just like thinking about so much. So thank you again, Lauren. And thank you, Allison, for being here and, and this conversation. And we'll see you on our next episode. Thank you.